0: Well, my name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here. I want to welcome you in the way that we do here. And excited that you're here joining us to worship. One of our elders, Brother Pete Peters, is going to be bringing the message today. We feel it's important um, to uh, have different voices from our congregation. And, and part of the elders' responsibility is teaching, not just teaching publicly in settings like this, but also in uh, classroom and small group settings and discipling. And so I uh, really appreciate Brother Pete. And uh, so would y'all uh, give him a warm plaza welcome as he comes to bring God's word today. Okay. Yes. Yes. Morning. My name is, as Pastor said, Everett Peters. Uh, I go by Pete. I'm one of the elders here at Plaza, and I'd like to welcome, as we come to the conclusion of this series, peace to the end. I'd also like to take this opportunity to to thank Plaza Church for its un its outpour of love and and support during this time of uh, passing of my mother-in-law, Nina's mom. Um, So we really uh, thank you guys for uh, supporting us and praying for us, sending cards and letters, just an outpour of love that you guys have demonstrated and displayed for us. And so thank you. So we've been taking a look uh, into Paul's second letter of Thessalonians, uh, a church plant to the new believers, uh, and they were probably less than a year old. I mean, this was a, uh, a church plant that, that Paul had, um, had started, and um, as we know, he was kind of run out of uh, um, Thessalonica. A bunch of folks didn't like what he was preaching in the aspect of just... Uh, that there was another king. And so um, they asked him to, to, he had to leave. And he sent a letter back to him after he found uh, he had gotten some um, reports from Timothy and Silas and how they were doing. And he was so encouraged and so uh, rejoicing. They sent him a letter to uh, encourage them to continue in the faith. And so you may recall that uh, Paul so he starts his second letter. He's getting some more reports back and he's, he's starting a second letter and he's writing to them about some of the things that he's heard continuing to encourage them. You recall that um, that he, he was he wrote them about uh, that the persecution would continue and he encouraged them to focus on the end of the story that those that were afflicting him or reflecting them today the Lord would inflict his vengeance on them in the day of his return second thing he point that he uh, he wrote them on was that Jesus had not returned remember we talked about that there was some false teachers that were saying Jesus had already returned. And Paul had told them don't be deceived that uh, that he had written to them in his first letter uh, not to sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Now this might have caused uh, some of the circumstances surrounding this third issue that Paul is, is now going to be concerned with. You know, it's funny that, that in this uh, second letter, he's, he's really encouraging them. He's setting a pattern of, of encouraging them and then warning them in, in a certain uh, facet of, of that, hey, uh, there are going to be those that are going to come and they've already started to try to seep in and, and try to discourage you that Jesus has already come. But then he he hits on this point. And really, this is really the the, the only thing that he's really directing them to to change in the way that they're conducting their business. I mean, you're thinking a a Christian a year old. We we look at today's society. A Christian a year old is, is, is still just getting their feet wet. You know they're they're still swaying a lot, but yet this church has, has has started to found some foundation, some fundamental principles that they're holding upon. But Paul wants to go on and and and, and tell them. But but this one thing I, we've got an issue with. So if you have your Bibles, let's pick up in uh, 2 Thessalonians, chapter three, verses six through eighteen and uh, if you don't have uh, a Bible, we invite you to use the Bible in the slot found in, in front of you. I was just um I was just looking out there to find out what the page number is, and just happens to be the same page number I have in my Bible. So <laughs> praise God. So now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. Reach over and touch your neighbor and say, keep away from those brothers walking in idleness. And nor in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourself know How you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in well-doing. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. This is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Some would argue this was only the second letter that Paul wrote. As we know that we have a uh, a plethora of letters in the New Testament, but this was to one of the first writings of Paul, and he's writing to this church of new believers. So the, today, the, uh, today's title, today's message is peace in the midst of work. Peace in the midst of work. When you think about retirement, do you picture ceasing to work and finding some sort of peace and doing nothing? I hear this side of the the room. You know, as I was thinking of this, I was think of my own retirement. Uh, as I, I look at at the diversity we have here in in uh, this church, that. Uh, there's some that have been retired for a long time, and then there's some that are still striving to, to find that that goal of retirement. Well, I recently retired from 41 years being with DOD. Uh, many of you know, 20 years active duty with the Navy, and 21 years at the Navy Exchange uh, Command Headquarters. I got to travel, got to meet a lot of people. And I also got to work hard and and long, a lot of long hours. Um, We used to have this saying on the USS America, and I'm pretty sure many of you probably have heard the same saying, work hard, play hard. You know, it was funny that, that in that saying, we never said work hard, sleep hard or rest hard. You know, there was no resting. There was no being idle. You know, you worked hard and you played hard. When I finally decided to let folks know that I was retiring, many people, especially my wife, um, were concerned that if I would have enough to keep myself busy coming from uh, such a a vibrant uh, environment, fast-paced life uh, of work, as several people I spoke to internalized the day that they would retire. Um, their biggest fear was that they wouldn't have enough to do. Number one suggestion or warning that many people uh, told me was don't become a couch potato. Don't become inactive. Find something to do. You know, retirement provides me the freedom to be active without having to be attached to a paycheck. But I have to tell you, I have to be cautious. I have to be intentional or I could easily fall into that pit of being idle or inactive. We don't particularly like to be around lazy or idle people do. I mean, we tend to think if someone is able to do for themselves, they ought to. It's something that's in our DNA. We're we're taught that as children, aren't we? And we're probably called being called lazy a lot when we're children. You know, I know I was. You know, what do you mean there's nothing for you to do? You know? yeah we we didn't like to be called lazy, and we didn't want to be in 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 a place where that we could be called lazy because we knew that definitely our parents would always have something for us to do. don't we think if we if I can get up and ex expend some effort to do something worthwhile, why can't they? I mean, we ourselves don't like to be idle. We even sometimes work harder so that we aren't idle. I don't know about you, but I hate being stuck in traffic. Yep. You're just sitting there being idle life life feels like it's actually passing you by. <laughs> I mean, my my mom lives in Annapolis, Maryland, and th- there's basically two routes to get there. Um, you can go up 64 West to 95 North, and then over to 50 East. Um, and and that's only maybe around a three three and a half hour trip if there's no traffic. But how many times is there no traffic? I mean, you get up to Fredericksburg, and then there's, I mean, um, uh, what's that, huh? Well, before Manassas, really, uh, you just get this parking lot, gridlock. I've been up there sometimes where, you know, I've sat there for three hours trying to get through that gridlock. Now, granted, there might have been an accident, I mean, but you would think that, you know, six lanes we could be moving or doing something. They just hate to be just stuck there idling. And so instead, I take the 301 or the 17-301 route. It takes an hour longer, but I'd rather do that than have to be caught being idle. And I know that some of you are like me that have gone out of your way to avoid the possibility of being idle. We ourselves don't like to be idle. We tend not to enjoy being around idle people either. However, we're reminded that Christ died for all. We do this a lot around here. We want to get to know the person next to you. Make sure they're awake. So I'm going to ask you, does Christ want us to be idle or lazy? Ask the person next to you. (laughs) Well, thank you, though, anyway. I appreciate that. That's right, I'm next to you. Since the first time Paul met with the Thessalonians, he's been warning these new believers about this issue about being idle. He reminded them that even for the short time that he was with them, as we look at uh, uh, verse 10, that even when I was with you, we would give you the command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. After a few months, Timothy and Salus brought back a report of the new church uh, how they were faring. And Paul Pinned in his letter, he says, "Hey, I'm encouraging you to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. As other reports were were received by Paul, this new church plant with a fairly Uh, young Christian uh, group, he pens his second letter. As we said earlier, he prays them for the the walk that they were, were, how they were walking with the Lord in the environment of the persecution. He encourages them to stand fast in the the faith that they receive, not to to flounder with these uh, false teachers. And again, he addresses the subject of idleness. However, this time, his tone is a lot more intense. Look with me at uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.6. Now, we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accordance with the tradition that you received from us. Paul isn't letting this thing go. It is an essential part of one's identity in Christ that they be not lazy. He now instructs the new believer to stay away from any believer that is walking in idleness. So, for a moment, moments we have left, I'd like to share with you some thoughts on what Paul wrote. In these la- these next few few verses. Point one, don't be a Christian that walks in idols. I mean, so what is walking in idols? I mean, we, we we kind of got the picture, but it is when a person walks, uh, though they can w- work, and work is available for them, yet they choose not to work. Or they are unwilling to work. Say that again. It is when a person, though they can work and work is available to them, yet they choose not to work or they are unwilling to work. What possible reasons could be given to these uh, new Christians? why they were were idle or why they were lazy? Well, first off, some of them came as they were. They came, they were already lazy when they accepted Christ. And now as followers of Christ, they refuse to grow. Second reason was that some accepted Christ and when they heard that the imminent, that, that Christ was coming back, He was going to return. They quit their employment and was awaiting for Christ's return. Either way, Paul wasn't going to give them a pass. Laziness and idleness is not a godly trait. Now please don't get get idleness and laziness confused with resting and abiding. We just got finished in January on on abiding with Christ. For God does call us to rest. If you recall in Exodus 23, 12, he, God says uh, six days shall you, shall you do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. And about abiding, John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit, for apart from me. That's Jesus. You can do nothing. But God also uh, warns us about laziness and slothfulness. In Proverbs 6, he gives us this comparison. He says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways. Be wise. Without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her Bread in summer and gathers her food food and harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man what's wrong with being idle? Well, I have through few, few thoughts on this. We were not created to be idle. We were created to do work. I mean, even though I'm retired, I realize that I need to do more than wake up in the morning, get out of my bed, roll onto my couch, stay there until it's time to roll back into my bed. just saying and then continue that cycle it is unnatural for mankind to be idle we were created to work or do something look with me at uh, Genesis chapter 2 Genesis chapter 2 verses 5 through 7 I got this new Bible. I'm breaking it in. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of, of the ground, then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostril the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now if we drop down to verse 14, uh, 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to yeah. what? to work it and keep it. God gave man purpose and work. He gave him a job to do. I believe Adam and Eve enjoyed working. Work was different in the garden before the curse. You know, but the curse, as we see in, in Genesis 3, bought pain and sweat, thorns and thistles into the work. However, it did not change man's purpose. I believe in heaven, work will be restored to a desirable thing for us to do. Being idle doesn't get anything done. There's so much that needs to be accomplished. Being retired, I see so much that I need to do. All those things I said I'd I do when I had the time. Well, I've entered that time. <laughs> My biggest challenge is not getting too overwhelmed with the amount of things that need to be done, that I just become idle, that I just don't do anything or do any of those things. I wonder if some of you have that same feeling uh, when you get on maybe a staycation uh, where you are have the time to look and you're looking around and seeing all the things that need to be done and you're just, uh, maybe I can just be idle. Sad to say, church churches today have idle people. They somehow feel that the church is a glorified country club. You know, a place where you pay your dues and you get served. Membership means privilege. Some feel that uh, they can come, and it's someone else's responsibility to make them feel good. And if that isn't happening, then they'll take their dues and find another place where they can be served and where the expectation for them is to do nothing but to be idle. This is not the, the attitude of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in Matthew 20, 26 through 28, Jesus said, But whosoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whosoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served. I mean, not to, to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus never lost sight of that he was here to accomplish something, the salvation of the world. And being idle, we become an easy target for temptation. Spurgeon once wrote, some temptations come to the industrious, but all temptation attack the idle. Paul hears that those unwilling to work have become busybodies. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but, what's that word? Busybodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Have you ever known someone in your workplace who seems to have nothing to do? And they are in everybody else's business. Mm. Busybodies are destructive. They sow discord. Uh, Discord and division, and I heard it over here gossip. They get other people's business, into other people's business mainly because they refuse to be where they are supposed to be doing what they are supposed to be doing. God has a specific task in place for each one of us to be, and if we're not careful, we too could find ourselves being busybodies. I mean, think about, about it. David, man out after God's own heart, was once not where God wanted him to be, not doing what God intended him to do. And the result was that he got into someone else's business. And so in Second Samuel, we, we see in the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle. Who was the king at that time? David was. David sent Joab. Further down it says, but David remained at Jerusalem. And it, you, many of you know the story. I'm not going to go through the whole text. But he saw Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop. And because he wasn't where God intended him to be, and wasn't doing what God intended him to do, he looks at this, this lady. And he goes and he takes her into himself. They have sex. He sends her home. She conceives. And now he has a dilemma. The sorrowful end of this story was that David would murder one of his mighty men, Uriah the Hittite, her husband. That the child would die. That David's son, Ammon, would rape David's daughter. Same father, different mothers. That David's daughter's brother, Absalom, would kill Ammon. David's son, uh, Absalom, would then try to take the kingdom away from David. And that in the end, David's commander, Joab, would kill Absalom. I mean, that was a train wreck of a huge proportion. Many people who become idle or lazy, enter into a state of constant critics and uh, being constant critics and complainers. In a later writing, Paul writes to Timothy warning him and us of what happens when folks become idle. Or in 1 Timothy 5, 13, and 14, he says, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying that, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, marry, uh, manage their household, and give, a, uh, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. In a nutshell, Paul would rather the young widows marry and do something, raising a family, rather than being idle and becoming a gossiper and a busybody. You know, there's no peace in being a busybody. Being idle puts an unnecessary strain on those of the same faith. Do you wrestle with when it is proper to be charitable to someone in poverty and when it's not? I sure do. I mean, we live in a Uh, deceptive culture, don't we? Are they ants or are they sluggards? I mean, we see a culture that is growing around us of people in need because they are unable to work and another culture of people that are in need because they're unwilling to work. How do we differentiate between the two? Should we differentiate between the two. I mean, we are convicted by Scripture to help those in need. Like when when Jesus was talking and he was talking about separating the sheep from the goats. And those that were the sheep, Jesus said unto them that um, you gave me something to eat when I was hungry. You gave me something to drink when I was thirsty. And they said to him, when did we give you something to eat when you were hungry or drink when you were thirsty? And he said, when you've given to any, truly, I say unto you that as you did to the one least, though the, to one of the least of these, you've done it to me. Or how about first John 317 that says, but if anyone has the world's goods and see his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Where do I find my peace and giving? I do believe the scripture encourages us to exercise godly discernment when tackling that question of whether to give or not to give. Remember, before Jesus was to be crucified, he was in the house of Simon of Bethany, and a lady came with a, a alabaster oil and, and just poured it it was very expensive oil, and poured it upon the head of Jesus. Remember the uh, rem- remember the reaction from um, his disciples. You know why why are we wasting this oil? This expensive oil. We could go out and 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 trade it for some money and give it to the poor. However, Jesus rebuked them for the conversation. Of, uh, for the conversation, for what she was doing was of the better service. But yet, he let them know that uh, there would be other opportunities to give to the poor. So yes, we should have a desire to bless others. However, we need to discern if we are uh, if we are hurting the person who is unwilling to to work by enabling or or crippling them by contributing to keeping them in idleness. See, sometimes it's not about the one we are giving to as much as it is about us soothing our own conscience. Are we willing to stop and find out if we are actually helping or hindering this person's walk and growth? See, Paul knew about these particular folks. He had formed a relationship with them. And in seeing this, Paul decided to set the example. Look with me at uh, verses 7 and 9. For you yourself know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. I mean, I wasn't there. Unemployment was probably might have been low. It might have been help wanted Signs posted on every other shop. I mean, Paul was there to start a church, to give the eternal message to anyone who would receive it. And Acts records that some of the Jews, great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few leading women did receive the message and accept Christ. Paul had enough people that he could have required a salary. But rather, he felt he should become an example. Paul anticipated this issue of idleness and and how it could be a distraction to the gospel and growth of these young believers. So he himself modeled laboring to the Lord. And so we see in, uh, in verse 13, Paul urges the one who are doing what he instructed to continue in the good work, continuing to charity, continuing to love and urges them not to be idle in disassociating with those that are unwilling to change. Look with me in 13. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we have said, say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy but warn him as a brother. Paul earlier let them know earlier let them know the great love for the brethren. He had been hearing in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourself have been taught by God to love one another. For that intent, is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Mesopotamia. It wasn't just in in the the city of Thessalonica, but it was to all the brethren in that that great region of Mesopotamia. So he encourages them to continue in following uh, that instruction of loving your brothers. But he also encourages them to separate themselves from those who aren't on board. Our testimony, our walk is so important for this world to see. We have the awesome task of being a witness to the dying and broken world and to proclaim there is light in the end of the tunnel, that in Christ there is salvation and joy and peace, even in the work, even in work and labor. There should be an appeal to the unbeliever because of the walk that they too want to know and have the confidence, joy, and peace that we possess. I mean, at your workplace, who is the person you are more inclined to get advice from? The lazy busybody, or the one who works quietly and depends on no one? In these verses, Paul has put the line in the sand to these new believers, those that are following Paul's instruction of how to follow Christ, need to disassociate themselves with those that are not. I mean, this is hard, isn't it? It's not a popular message, but it is a biblical one. Turn with me to Matthew 18, 15 through 17. And it reads here, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, praise God, you have gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Church, we have a responsibility to be accountable for and to each other. This isn't easy. There roars within us this inside conflict. Yet, if we say and believe Jesus is better than anything, then we will not only take the log out of our, our eye, but take the splinter out of our brother's eye. However, it is just so hurtful when that brother or sister refuses to submit under Christ's authority. I wonder if the question isn't how much do I love my brother or sister, but rather, how much do I love Christ? The goal of church discipline must always be restoration. The hope that was that the idle uh, individual would be isolated to the point that they would feel ashamed of their actions, which would lead to repentance, which would glorify Christ. Paul recognized that there will be in those believers a conflict, a feeling of despair for them to do what he has written for them to do. So he encourages them by letting them know there is a peace because the Lord is with them. Look at verses 16 and 17. in you uh, second Thessalonians, I'm sorry. Chapter 3, 16 and 17 should be on the screen. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times, in every way. The Lord be with you all. This type of peace only comes from knowing the end of the story. It's the calm that even when I'm uncomfortable, I can still be at peace. Even when I'm hurting, I can still be at peace. Even when the storms are raging around me, I can still be at peace. You know, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is the absence of fear. One of our greatest fears is hurting our brothers and sisters in Christ. But Christ wants them to be just as no, 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 no problem. Sorry about that. And Jesus wants us uh, them to be in right standings and the ability to be able to receive the blessings He wants to place on them. So be peace in the midst of work. To work and don't be idle. Because of the degree of love, because of the degree you love Christ, be accounted, accountable to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And be at peace at all times in every way, for the Lord of peace is always with you. So at this time, would everyone please bow their heads and as I ask the men to Prepare us for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. You may be here today and you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus. I want you to know we love you. And God loves you. And you being led here today was not by accident. Because of Christ's finished work, we know we can have eternal life by believing in his death, his burial, and resurrection, and make him Lord of our life. That simply means that I confess with my, my mouth that Jesus is my Lord. And I believe in my heart that God is. Raised them from the dead, and the Bible says, "I will be saved, saved from what you might ask, saved from the furious wrath of God, saved from being forever separated from His wonderful presence." That's what the Thessalonians did what we've been talking about. And then they started to heal and grow. If this is you this morning and you'd like to give yourself to Christ and be saved from the wrath of God, just repeat after me a simple prayer. You have to mean it in your heart. But as a gift that God has given to you. So if you like to receive and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just say these, these simple words Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I believe you were crucified for my sins. I believe you were crucified for my sins. And that you were buried. And God raised you from the dead so that I can be saved. I want to take myself off the throne of my own desires and place you on the throne of my heart. I want to start following your ways and do what your word says. Have you prayed that with me? The Bible says "Whoever, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In a little while during the invitation time we would ask you to please come forward and share your decision with one of the the deacons, or the elders. They'll be up here in front or write it on your connection card or tell the person next to you. They'll be excited that you are now in the family of God. Now, heads still bowed, Christian, I've got three questions for you before we go to the of the Lord's Supper. Are you working to your full potential for the Lord? in the place God has called you doing the things that God has called you to do number two if you're not working or serving please ask yourself why is it because you are unable or unwilling and the third will you go to that brother or sister who sinned against you or the body of Christ in being idle, in being lazy, and plead with them to repent. I hope you know we are our brothers' keeper. Lord Jesus, we do thank you. We are in awe of your creation the complexity of all that is around us, Lord. We labor to to find out the why's and the how's. But Father, us of faith know that, Lord, you spoke all this in existence. And Father, as we look at what it is that you'd have us to do, being where we want us to be. We know that, Father, you have created work for us to do. To be a witness for you. To be appealing, attractive to those that do not know you. Father, we just want to commit that, Lord, we are going to seek and do that which you have called us to do. Because, The bigger picture is either I'm willing to do it or I'm not willing to do it. You have provided me your word. You've provided me your Holy Spirit to guide and direct me. The question then becomes, am I willing to do that which you've called me to do? So, Father, help us. Convict us, Holy Spirit to be busy and not be busy bodies. was in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.